I'd ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the ninth chapter of the New Testament book of Acts as we are going to continue in our sermon series looking at the very first Christian church and we're going to use these as examples. Today though, probably not one of those example type of sermons as we're going to start a brand new sermon series simply called Not Worthy. I don't know what's in your past. I don't know what you have done. I don't know what you're thinking about when I say that, but I can bet that it's not good. I'm not talking about little white lies. I'm not talking about cheating on a high school math test. What I'm talking about the big things, like maybe there's a criminal history. No joke, we're going deep. Maybe there is an abortion in your past. Maybe there is some hurt against somebody else purposefully that is, is just stuck there. Maybe at some point you were strung out on meth. Maybe you were addicted, at one point you were addicted to, to porn. Maybe in, there was a time in your life, B.C., before Christ, when you, you hung out with the wrong people. And you would say, you know what, Pastor, I'm here, and in, in even right now, I can't guarantee that I am back on the right track. Yeah, there is junk in my past. You might be sitting here today saying, I am trying to look forward, Pastor, but I can't see beyond my past. You might say, Pastor, I have so much shame over things that have gone on, things that I have done. I have blocked out entire periods of my life. Pastor, I'm on the road to recovery right now, and I feel a little better than I used to, but I'm nowhere close. Your life, B.C., before Christ, your life was hard. But before Christ, when Christ wasn't in your life, and, and this added to the ease, you might not have felt any shame at all about it. Ladies, if, if you've ever been in that position to where um, you, you know, you've been intimate, you know, maybe with a different man every week, and, and you say, you know what, it was okay, and, and it's all right, because that's what we do in our society. Or guys, you might have at, at one point spent all of your hard-earned money on weed, and you say, you know what, that's what we do in our society, so, so it's okay, I'm justified by that, right? But now A.D., Eno Domini, this is the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. On this side, now you recognize that life before was totally displeasing to God. And more than that, now we feel shame. It, it honestly might be that lifestyle that, that you're, you're living right now that the world says that it is okay, but deep inside you know that that is not what God wants. Did you know there are so many people in this world, inside and outside the church, who listen to a liar continually tell them that they are too far gone for God to love? I don't want to stand up here and say, you know what, God loves you, and, that, and that's simply enough to just mask over our past and, and for us to just continue living in our sin. You know the best way to continue feeling our shame? It is to continue living in that lifestyle without asking for forgiveness. 
some of us, some of us have very, very deep hurts. And we show up at church every single week and we say, God, I just feel like I'm not worthy. Now, I don't know your past. I don't know all of your pasts, but there's a good chance that you are not a murderer. Most murderers are in jail. Some of them we haven't caught, so maybe they're not in jail. So maybe there are maybe there are those among us, but I can almost say with certainty that you are not a a a serial killer. That you are not somebody who has left your home with the intent and with the purpose of killing and hurting other people. Most of us have hang-ups. Most of us have a past. We have a history that we simply say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy, but I don't know that you are a, a serial killer. And you know what? When we say, God, we're not worthy, honestly, we're, we're not. We're not worthy. All of us have a past. And let me tell you something about the way that Jesus sees your past and the way that the world sees your sin. See, our world has a a legal system. And and we've got this system that sins are based vertically. We say that a sin like murder or child abuse, we put those way up high, right? God's value of sin is not on a vertical scale. It is on a horizontal scale, see? And every sin that pops above that horizontal line, whether it be this big or this big, doesn't matter. It's above the line. It is a sin. God sees it all the same, doesn't matter how small we see it. To God, sin is sin. Murder, idolatry, sexual immorality, or simply lying or, or cheating on a test. In God's eyes, it's all weighted exactly the same. Our world has that vertical line. God doesn't use that vertical line, and you say, well, pastor, that doesn't make me feel any better. We were just talking about the the deep portions of my sin a minute ago, and I felt shame about that, but now I'm feeling shame about even the small things. Pastor, thanks, thanks a lot for that. Here's the thing. I didn't make the list. God did, right? That's, that's not me. That's God. I promise you that we are going to talk about grace today, but I want to come back to this thought that that I bet you have never left your home with the intention of killing people or throwing them in jail and then continuing on in your your life. But I want to introduce you to a man who actually did that. Come with me to Acts. I'm in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse number 1 this morning. It'll be up here on your screen as well. Acts chapter 9, verse number 1 says this, Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. We're going to stop for a minute because when we were in Acts chapter 8, we had seen after the death of Stephen, there's this madman named Saul who is in Jerusalem, but he is tormenting the Christians who are in Jerusalem. And for those of you who want to get super biblical on me, and that's totally okay, Christians aren't technically called Christians at this point in Acts chapter 9, okay? They are referred to as the followers of the way. 
put this up on the screen. This is John chapter 14, verse number 6, and this is why Jesus said, that, said this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Saul hates people who follow the way. Saul goes on this rampage in Jerusalem. He's going house to house and he's pulling out anyone who is a follower of the way. He's going to the houses. If you have a cross on your door, he's going to see you, pull you out. If you have a fish bumper sticker on your donkey, he is going to pull you out and he's throwing you in jail. Anything that he could do. He is grabbing Christians, and here's what happens. The Christians flee Jerusalem, and they start leaving in droves. We're seeing that on the news right now. We're seeing people in Ukraine right now under persecution, and, and, and there's another country coming in. There is a madman coming in, and the people of Ukraine are leaving now in droves. And imagine if, if that was happening to us. And the only reason is because you are a Christian. What you would be doing is grabbing your kids. You would grab your belongings, and you would be getting out as fast as you can simply because you are a Christian. There is a madman coming after you. That was Saul. But see, here's the thing. Once Saul drove people out of Jerusalem, he still wasn't happy with that. Saul was so religious in his Jewish faith, almost militarily religious. He would fight for his religious traditions. As a Jew and a Pharisee in training, Saul and the Jews, they also expected a Messiah to come. But Jesus wasn't what they had expected. The, the Messiah the Jews expected was so much different. They were looking for somebody who was going to lead the nation of the Jews in revolt against the Roman Empire. They were looking for somebody who was, was strong and, 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 and somebody who, who was, was a powerful leader. They were expecting a man who was going to free them from this oppression from the Romans. A leader that the Jews had in mind was never a leader who would ever be captured. Their leader in their mind was strong and he was confident. He would never have been crucified. To Saul, this whole Jesus thing is nothing but a hoax. And I want you to see this. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time, you will find some fill-in-the-blanks on the back of your bulletin, and those answers are going to be up here on the big screen. Point number one is this. It is not uncommon for us to fight for what we think is right and for what we think that is right to be absolutely wrong. Now, I know what's on the screen might be a little bit different from that, so let me write this down. For, I'll tell you this again. It is not uncommon for us to fight for what we think is right, but for what we think is right to be absolutely wrong. Not going to lie to you. No, that's a hard statement, but it's a true statement. Saul has spent his entire life studying Jewish Scripture he, he knows the Old Testament, our Old Testament, inside out. He was zealous. He was passionate. 
And in his mind, if you and your godly lifestyle did not match his worldly lifestyle, there was something wrong with you. As a matter of fact, he was so passionate, he had a group of religious leaders, guys that he knew, on his side who encouraged him to go out and shame anyone who didn't believe what he did, to jail anyone who didn't follow his worldly way. I don't know what it is in your life that you have been fighting for that is absolutely wrong. And let's not kid ourselves and think that we haven't done that before. We have We have at times given ourselves justification and permission to partake in a lifestyle, whatever it is that is contrary to the word of God. We have all done it. And we have used worldly justification for our actions to shield us from the shame of not living a biblical lifestyle. I don't know what it is that you are following or that you have followed that is contrary to the Word of God, but I promise you that in our world you will find support for whatever it is that you want to justify that is outside of biblical values. Our world loves to turn shame into applause. Loves to do that. See, we can go and, 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 and we can walk in, in rights parades all we want in, in non-biblical lifestyles everywhere, but deep inside, we know that God's word is right, and if we are going to live contrary to God's word, we are, in fact, absolutely wrong. The, the Bible is our path. Let me tell you something. I used to be... I used to be a pack-a-day smoker for about 21 years. Now, if, if you're still on the sticks, I'm not going to come down on you right now. But I want you to know this. So I'm a member of Gen X. My entire life, I have known the scientific evidence that smoking is bad for your health. Now, once we get to boomers or the greatest generation, maybe it was different. But in my generation, we have always known that. But I was so passionate about it. I, I had no excuse but I sure did have passion. When laws went into effect that would ban smoking in restaurants, I was so mad. I was so mad. When taxes started to increase the price of cigarettes, I was so mad I actually went and found ways around that. I was ordering smokes from out of state because they were cheaper. I was so passionate. Something that was wrong, I was so passionate about it that I stood up for it. Sometimes we let our actions be dictated by our defiance and rage for something that is absolutely wrong. Did you hear that? We let our actions, our defiance and our rage, we let that control us for something that is absolutely wrong. Saul was so passionate against anyone who followed Jesus, that he was going to go out and he was going to destroy the Christian movement. And it didn't matter to him where the Christian movement was. Saul was going to find it. Many people 
who left Jerusalem at that time, they found refuge in a city not far away, a city called Damascus. Now, Damascus is about two weeks away by foot, about 140 miles to get from Jerusalem to Damascus. And what would happen is Christians went to numerous different cities, but that was one of the nearby larger cities. Damascus had many synagogues, and we've talked about synagogues in the last couple of weeks. It's where the Jews would come on Saturdays on their Sabbath, and they would worship. And there were many of those, but what would happen is when the Christians or the the followers of the way came into a new city, now remember, most of them were raised Jewish. That's what they do. That's their tradition is to go to the synagogue on Saturday. They would go there also, but they would start telling people about Jesus, and that ticked Saul off. He was not happy about that. Saul is so educated, and he's so connected. Remember, he's, he's training to be a Pharisee. At this point, certainly a Pharisee, and he's got connections. He has some pool with the other Pharisees. And I want you to see what Saul does. Come back with me. I'm going to finish Acts chapter 9. I'm going to finish verse number 1 and roll into verse number 2. He, Saul, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found any who were there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, that he could take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem is the headquarters city of the Jewish people. And so the temple in Jerusalem, there were rabbis there, but they still had authority over the priests in other cities. So Paul gets this letter from the, from the leaders in Jerusalem. Now, years later, Saul, it's as if he's doing an interview, sitting down talking about this time in his life. And I want you to see what Saul says in his own words. I'm in Acts chapter 26, verse number 9. It's up on the screen. This is he's talking right here, talking about what was going through his head. He says this, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that I was, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. Saul was mad, and he punished Christians just for being Christians. And he justified his actions. I wonder if we have ever justified our ungodly actions because we want to tell ourselves that what we're doing is okay. I don't know when it was that Jesus reached into your life and, and, and he brought to light that biblical defiance and he touched you on the shoulder to get your attention. I don't know when that was. I don't even know if that has happened yet in your life. I can venture to say that if you're here this morning or you're watching this morning, that there's a, a chance like maybe that is to happen today. That's what happened to Saul when Jesus reached out and touched him and got his attention. I don't know what you've done in your life, but I know that whatever it was, chances are it wouldn't have stacked up 
against somebody who literally hunted down Christians to have them killed. Follow me back to Acts chapter 9. I am in verse number 3. As he, Paul, Saul, remember he's leaving Jerusalem. He's going to find Christians who have already left and they've gone to other cities. Verse number 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I want to stop here for just a moment, okay? Because some of you, some of you know, you know this story. You know that Saul just met Jesus. But as of verse number five, Saul doesn't know who he met. But he knows that he has met God. That's what he knows. This is the second point in your notes this morning. And this is so important. When God grabs you to get your attention, it's unmistakable. That moment is unmistakable when God reaches out. The voice says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we don't have any evidence in the Bible that Saul was persecuting anyone but Jesus and Jesus' followers. So, here is Saul. Oh, and I, I want you to understand that this is so important. Saul's persecution of the church, Saul's lifestyle and biblical defiance hurt Jesus personally. The voice didn't say, why are you persecuting the people who follow me? No, the voice said, why are you persecuting me? Saul wasn't dragging Jesus out of a home and throwing him in jail. He, he, it, it was Saul's own biblical, unbiblical lifestyle that was hurting Jesus. Saul wasn't killing Jesus. That's not what he did. But it, it was Saul's own unbiblical lifestyle that was hurting Jesus. You and I, in our lifetime... We, we're not the ones who actually put nails in the hands of Jesus. That's not what we did. But our unbiblical lifestyle, can it hurt Jesus personally? Abs absolutely. You and I might not have been part of somebody else's time in their life that was hard. You may have been the one that experienced that time. It might have been that situation when you went into that medical clinic to erase a pregnancy, and we honestly did not erase the pregnancy of Jesus Christ. But our own unbiblical lifestyle and actions were hurting Jesus. In our life, A.D., in our life with Christ, that's when we start feeling shame. Come back with me to Acts chapter 9. I'm in verse number 5. I'm going to read the second half of verse number 5 and 6. This is the response that Saul hears on the road. He hears this, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Jesus is identifying himself 
And he doesn't reference his heavenly name. He doesn't say, I am the son of man. I am the son of God. No, he uses his earthly name. He says, I am Jesus. That's the person who Paul is out to hurt. Followers of Jesus. Saul knows that the disciples, the disciples of Jesus, now apostles, that they had been spreading this rumor around that he rose from the dead and the tomb was empty and, and he's going to do, Saul is going to do everything that he can to snuff this out, to snuff out the idea. But now Jesus is right in front of him. And not only is Jesus right in front of Saul, Jesus is giving him instructions. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice what Jesus did and what Jesus didn't do. Jesus did identify himself. He did give Saul instructions. But what he didn't do is this. He didn't lecture Saul. He didn't shame Saul. He simply said, I am Jesus. You are persecuting me. You are hurting me. Jesus didn't go and dig up all of his baggage. Jesus didn't, didn't start talking about all of the things that Saul has done in his life that, that are, are so anti-biblical. Saul knows what he's done. Jesus knows what he's done. I know what I've done. You know what you have done and let me tell you when jesus finds you and he makes himself known his first reaction is not to throw all of your baggage back up in your face it's not what jesus is here to do he wants to make himself known to you and to give you instructions if there is anyone in the world anyone at that moment in time, who is not worthy of a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus, it would be Saul. Saul did not kill Jesus, but was trying to kill people who followed Jesus. But let's think about the people who did kill Jesus for a moment. Jesus, from the cross, looks down at Roman soldiers, literally the guys with hammers, driving nails through his hands, and Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. These are the guys who literally killed Jesus. And you think if you think that Jesus was ever going to call Saul out for his very unbiblical lifestyle, it would be right here on this road to Damascus. And Jesus didn't do that. That's the same thing that Jesus does for you and I. Here's the third point in your notes this morning. Jesus will get your attention, make himself known, and give you instructions. He will get your attention, he will make himself known, and he will give you instructions. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people say, well, I've been sitting back listening, just waiting for Jesus to give me instructions, just waiting for Jesus to tell me what to do, and I can't hear anything. It's not a hearing thing. It's a reading thing. He has given us his word and instructions if you're waiting for something audible, I would say let's make sure we have read all of his instructions first. 
Instructions are there. It's in the book. It's been preserved for us. Come back with me to Acts chapter 9. I'm in verse number 5. The men traveling with Saul, they stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he didn't eat or drink anything. Okay. So Saul leaves Jerusalem with these letters from the high priests, with these letters that are going to tell the synagogue leaders in Damascus, hey, Saul is here, it is okay if, if he arrests Christians, if he drags them out, has them stoned, it's totally cool, and we've got this, you've got our permission to let this happen, okay? But when Saul is walking to Damascus, he's not alone. He has his posse with him. He's got his friends with him. He's got an entourage with him on the road. And these people must have seen how amazing this moment was when Saul met Jesus They recognized this right away. They stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. But they heard this. Well, I wonder, when Jesus talks, does he talk quietly, or can can people around hear his voice? Well, there's a book that we've got with his voice in it that so many people can hear. So many people can read. Jesus is going to make himself known, and he's going to give instructions. Here's the thing. Do you know what just happened when Jesus met Saul out there on that road? It wasn't just Saul's life who changed, that was changed. These men traveling, they heard Jesus' voice too. They couldn't see him, but they heard his voice too. We don't have any records of this. But I would venture to say that these men, their lives were changed also just because of their proximity to Jesus in that moment. And they were speechless. Imagine them. Yesterday they were in Jerusalem following around the madman who's killing Christians. And now they see him and his life change like that? I bet you their life changes like that. Think about the influence. You know what might happen to your friends and your family when they learn that you have met Jesus? If they are are from that ungodly lifestyle and choosing to continue living in that lifestyle, now is the time. When you come to Jesus, this is the time that, that, that they can see. They can see that change. When they know that the world-approved lifestyle and the God-approved lifestyle are so much different and you're choosing to live that God-approved lifestyle, chances are they will be speechless. They might even try and shame you for following God and his direction. See, you are about to change. The world doesn't want you to change. The world, the world loves you just the way you are, except if you were a little bit further away from Jesus. They would be totally happy with that. See, the further that you are away from Jesus, the more this world is going to love you. 
You want to be loved and accepted in our world? Get as far away from Jesus as you can. There's plenty of love there. There's plenty of acceptance there. All of Saul's buddies who are right there, they hear this voice. And now they have to help their buddy, probably put him up on their shoulders. They've got to get him into Damascus the rest of the way, and they hang out with him for a few days. He goes blind. He can't see anything. He's not eating. He's not drinking. You want to talk about a shocking moment for these men. This is the worst Christian sinner at the time, and now they are with him at a time when his life is changing. Let me ask you this. Why do you think? Here is Saul out on the road to Damascus. Now, we're not talking a busy freeway with a bunch of trucks and traffic that's lined up for miles. No. These guys are walking by foot. Here is Saul with his entourage. Pharisees probably dressed up in their, their, their black getup, and they're cruising along. Pretty authoritative guys here, okay? I wonder why... With Jesus knowing exactly where Saul is right then, that God just did not strike down a bolt of lightning and just kill him and just do away with him. That, that, that would solve the problem, right? It was just a couple of chapters back that we saw that, that God struck down a, a husband and wife because they lied about how much money that they had sold some property for. They came to the apostles and said, yeah, we sold it for this. Really, they didn't. We have seen God strike down people for less. And we think, why didn't God just strike down Saul right there? Right there, that moment. Jesus could have, have, have called like a lion or a wild animal out of the forest just to like devour him and then boom, you know, problem solved. Saul is gone. It's the same reason. The reason he didn't is the same reason that God does not strike down you and I, even though we probably deserve it. It's because our God is a God of second chances and of third chances and of fourth chances. It was the same reason that God looks at you and I and he says, I know what you have done, but I forgive you. That is our God. Jesus didn't strike down Saul off the road because he had a use for Saul. And we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, Saul come to repentance, and we're going to see his shame, and we're going to see that, that it's, it's not just a worldly definition of grace. No, worldly standards of grace is probably not what it would have taken for Saul. By our worldly standards of, of grace, you and I are not worthy. We're not but see, Jesus doesn't judge based on our standards. He doesn't give grace based on our standards. His judgment and his grace are based off of godly standards, and we can be thankful for that. Amen? I wonder if you've ever seen a show, TV show. This one's called Scared Straight. It's where they take teenagers who have been in trouble or are on the wrong path, and they will take them into a prison, into a jail, and they will find the most hardened criminals in there 
who have come around themselves, but these guys are lifers. They're not going anywhere. And they let these guys talk to those teenagers and say, look, if you keep going down the wrong path, this is what's going to happen to you. You see these bricks? This is my home. I have no freedom. And, and, and literally trying to scare people straight. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus saw Saul as somebody who would be just really great in this show. Saul, Saul in an episode of Scared Straight, who worse than Saul to say, I know what your life was like, but look what Jesus did to me. I wonder if that's you and I. Why hasn't God just shot us down? Well, maybe it's you and I who weren't as bad as Saul by worldly standards. Our sin on that horizontal line, it shows up just like Saul's did. I wonder if Jesus looks at you and I and say, who better would I turn their life around for them to be an example to other people? Who better than you and I? Who better? Jesus gives grace. Not the kind of grace that you and I give to each other because our grace is limited. I want you to hear this out of the book of John, chapter 1, verse number 17. It says, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Grace is unmerited favor. None of us deserve any favor from God. We don't deserve it. We all have baggage. Baggage that is legit. We've got memories. We've got things we try and put into the closet and we don't want to pull them back out, but they are absolutely real. They're absolutely real. That lifestyle that we so blatantly live that is against an outside of God's authority, that lifestyle is absolutely disgraceful to God, and it leads us to shame. Should we feel ashamed of our sin? Yeah, absolutely. Should we mourn over what we have done to hurt Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. Should we hate our own sin? Yes, Absolutely. Should we do everything in our power to distance ourselves from sin? Yes, we should, absolutely. Is it easy? No. Is the world going to help us? No. Does, does our posse and our entourage want us to change? No. Do we deserve to be blinded and then let go? No, we don't. But here's the key. And this is the fourth and final point in your notes this morning. God's grace is bigger than all of your worst sins combined. God's grace is bigger than all of your worst sins combined. What is bigger than your shame? God's grace. What is bigger than your hurt and your sorrow? God's grace. 
What is bigger than our unworthiness? God's grace. Many years after this moment in time that we're studying in Acts chapter 9, many years later, Saul will start writing letters. And by this point, we're calling him Paul, not Saul. And I'll tell you why in the next few weeks. This man, who Jesus didn't kill, wrote a third of our New Testament. Because God saw something. You want to talk about a sinner being used by God. Saul is the biggest example ever. Do you think that you can't be forgiven by God for your past? No, think again. Think again. God's grace is bigger. In one of his very famous letters to the church in Rome, Paul, he wrote this in Romans 3, 23 and 24. Paul writes this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All of us have sinned. And none of us deserve to be in God's presence, but it's God's gift of grace through redemption in Jesus Christ. That's all we've got. Because we've got baggage that we can't get rid of, and it's still there. To be justified, it means to be accepted to be supportable, to be vindicated, to have a right or a wrong made right. See, B.C., before Christ, we tried to justify our own sinful actions by what the world says. If the world says it's okay, then we're going to justify it and we're going to say that we are all okay. But A.D., after, you don't have to tell yourself that you're justified just because the world tells you that it's okay, now you listen to Jesus. And you are justified because He died for you. Because you are worth it to Him. Because He has a use for you. Worldly justification is going to get us nowhere. Telling ourselves that we are justified for our actions, that's a sad excuse to continue living in sin even when we know that we are wrong. But when Jesus justifies us, He does not condemn us. And that is something really special. Saul killed Christians. He had a past and he had baggage. He had a lot to be ashamed of. But when Jesus met him, Jesus didn't shame him. Jesus loved him and told him, this is who I am. 
And this is what I want you to do. Gave him instructions. Started working through him right away. Are you wondering what it is that Jesus wants you to do? Are you waiting for instructions? They're in the book. I promise you they're in the book. They're in the book. Let me tell you where you're not going to find the instructions of God. You're not going to find them on YouTube. You're not going to find them in a Google search. You're going to find them in a Bible search. That's where God's instructions are. Will you pray with me?